0: cinema
1: obscura
0: from KYW in Philadelphia it's a look at movies that may not exactly be considered mainstream and had a limited run upon release but worth a look this week a special edition with a guest as we focus on a movie that still has plenty of fans to others it may be an acquired taste I'm Steve Nikhazy and I'm joined by independent Philadelphia filmmaker Andre Bennett Andre how you doing uh it's good to be back Steve how about you Absolutely Something new with the podcast we've been talking about this for a while as we welcome guests from time to time and Dan Wing is a familiar presence on KYW News Radio reporter and anchor also a fan of science fiction a big Star Wars fan by the way and uh, we're getting his thoughts on a cult movie that uh moves in so many directions. Good to have you with us.
1: Oh, It's uh, great to be here, guys. Uh, glad that I get to finally flex my pop culture muscles a little bit instead of just on the uh, news beat.
0: I, I, I love it. All right, here we go. The year was 1993. Seinfeld was just taking off as a sitcom. The Phillies were making moves toward the World Series, and video game fans were excited about a new big screen production based on a couple of big Nintendo characters, Super Mario Brothers. It promised to be one of the biggest movies of that summer. It had a budget of $48 million, slightly less than Jurassic Park at the time. And it features the adventures of plumbers Mario and Luigi with Bob Hoskins heading the cast. What could go wrong, guys? Oh, everything.
1: (laughs) Just about everything. After uh, about minute one, I think it went off the rails. (laughs) It's,
2: It's a terrible movie. I'm sorry. And the thing is, it's like on paper... I don't know how how anyone could have expected this to be like anything other than absolutely mental.
0: Mass confusion.
2: It it was
1: one of those things. I was a kid at the time, so I had the Nintendo Power magazines coming and they were hyping it up in there. You just saw the picture. Super Mario Brothers was like so excited as an 11-year-old, 10-year-old kid. And then I saw the trailer, and I think that's when I officially died as a child and became a man and a little more cynical that Hollywood is all about the cash grab. And uh,
0: Yeah, it was. And, and you need a big name to lead the cast. They had one in, in, too. in Bob uh, – Two. Yeah.
2: With Dennis but, but, Hopper and uh, Bob yeah. Hoskins.
0: But especially with Hoskins, he mm-hmm. had no idea what this character was about.
2: No, not yeah. at all. and he was coming off Who Framed Roger Rabbit, so – He was already coming off one of the biggest movies of that time. Mm -hmm. And Dennis Hopper was a big get. This was, I think, pre-Waterworld. It's funny because I remember I was at the movies with my parents and I remember seeing the poster and thinking, oh, my goodness, look at this star power in this movie. And and, and in Super Mario Brothers because, you know, (laughs) at the time you still – you had Sonic and you had Zelda. But there was still no bigger video game franchise than Mario. And they had just come out with a Super Nintendo and Super Mario World, which Mm. kind of took the thing into the whole dinosaur direction, which this movie goes into. So this was huge at the time. And the more I've read about this movie, the more I'm convinced that all the behind the scenes stuff is much more interesting than even the the big mess, (laughs) because you had the director of the Killing Fields decide, I want to make a Super Mario Brothers movie. So he goes to Nintendo and just sort of waits for an audience with them for a week. And they're getting offers from all these big studios for tons of money. And he's like, I only have like 500000 now. But he also gives them this pitch that impresses, that bemuses them. Because I don't think Nintendo really cared. They're very, Nintendo comes across as very aloof and insular when it comes to anything outside of their sphere. So I think they were more amused than anything. And they thought, well... Mario can withstand whatever. We'll see how this goes. We're we're curious. So they ultimately sell him the rights for two million dollars. And he gets to work and he's got producing with him one of the producers uh from Dances with Wolves and Chariots of Fire. So you've got these guys who make these big prestige movies doing Super Mario Brothers, and so they they're like, Okay, well, we need a script. Yeah, and there there were rewrites of the script every single day. There were there were six drafts and that's before you get to the daily onset rewrites. And <laughs> yeah. like I think – actually, no. I think about half those drafts were in the middle of production yeah. because they started yeah. – they, they wanted to make a darker, edgier story like this sort of um, – like focusing on the family dynamic. But the more money they were trying to get, the more executives and financiers were like, we thought this was a kid's move.
0: Yeah. And Dan, uh, I I guess when you went into this movie originally, you thought, well, where's the plot for the for the game itself? You know,
1: that was kind of my whole thing. And watching it, too, you're like, did anybody who was a part of this movie, have they ever even played the game before? Because, I mean, you're even watching it uh, just on the recent rewatch. Mario doesn't even put on a red suit until like the final 20 minutes. You're over an hour into the movie. He's worn yellow. He's worn green. Luigi's worn more red than him. And it's just kind of like you're nowhere near where these characters are. And and. None of it really made sense to me. You know that old stereotype of like '80s TV executives doing a lot of drugs and just throwing stuff at a wall. That's what I picture how this movie was made. Yeah, it, it didn't it just constant it, flow of ideas.
0: It didn't make any sense to the main cast members who uh, relied heavily on alcohol to get through the experience. From what I hear, <laughs> I,
1: I can understand that.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a story that uh, all of them. There were a bunch of people who got who drank in between takes. You had Hoskins and John Leguizamo drinking whiskey between takes. And then a lot of them would just uh, smoke weed, like, after, after hours. And Bob Hoskins would be kind of drinking alone in this rented mansion. He finds out that they've been smoking. He's like, wait a second. You've been doing that all this time you didn't tell me? I've been drinking alone all this time. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Hopper was just...
1: Maybe pulled some of that Blue Velvet stuff
2: back and was stuffing a little <laughs> yeah, of that to get through the yeah. movie. Well, <laughs> the he director. was just screaming at the directors, like, almost daily. There's an incident I read. Um, one of the actors recounted... He screamed at the directors who – I guess their claim to fame at the time was creating Max Headroom. He screamed at them for three hours because there were changes to the script that he didn't know about. Finally said, we're going to do the script as it is now. Forget it. We'll do it that way. But he just just ranted about the movie and how they were terrible and the state of movie making and everybody was miserable. The directors were humiliated and – ultimately fired
0: yeah well uh, nintendo also wheeled out its super scope in one scene the the video game gun and i wonder how many people went out and bought that gun to to, to go with their nes or whatever system it was at the time after they saw the movie oh wait what i didn't even notice the super
2: scope because i noticed yeah, the zappers
1: uh, well i was going to say they were using the uh using it in the one point there for the uh as she's selecting like the security camera scenes or whatever and the different options on that and uh,
2: she's using the zapper
1: I, it kind of reminded me of um, The Wizard that came out with Fred Savage a, yes. a couple years before that. And all it was was a way to introduce Super Mario Brothers 3 and the Power Glove, which as a kid was the one thing I wanted more than anything. But my parents were just like, yeah, no, we don't, we don't have $200 to go throw yeah. away on this little glove you're going to put on that doesn't even right. work eventually.
0: Right. Well, it did cost a lot of money to make, $48 million. And it does look good. And how about the music?
1: I will say I was kind of surprised that they did work in more songs from the video. I didn't never really picked up on it before, but even like in the uh, elevator scenes and one restaurant scene in a, in uh, you know when they're back in Brooklyn, an Italian restaurant, like they're actually songs from the Mario game, which I had never picked up on before until watching it today.
2: The the eleva- outside
1: of the main theme yeah. that everybody knows the
2: the, the the background music in the elevator scene does resemble slightly the underwater theme. For the most part, there's this one theme that runs throughout most of the movie that gets super repetitive to me. And I'm just like, uh, like, in, even in the desert, like the desert scenes, which are supposed to be kind of a little darker and uh, more dangerous. And there's this whole, there's this comedic background I know explore, exactly what is. I'm just yeah. like, yeah. I, I don't know. And it's, and this is Alan Silvestri, who is like a major. It's very guy.
1: typical early 90s, late 80s, goofy, happening, wacky stuff going on type music. I, I mean you've probably heard it in a sitcom somewhere else or something very similar to it. It's, yeah. Yeah. So, as soon as you hear it, you kind of know something cheesy is going on here.
2: I was looking at the soundtrack and I'm like there's like the Divinals. The they they do a cover of Roxy Music in yeah, here. Mm-hmm. Megadeth is in here. George uh, the Clinton. The Dinosaur.
1: Boom, boom, get on the floor. Yeah, the George dinosaur. Clinton covers. That one I actually remember from the 80s.
2: Covers that. Extremes on the soundtrack. Roxette has two songs. I'm like someone. It was like all in on Roxette. She like, gets
1: the first credit when the movie ends. <laughs> yes. yeah. she, I, yeah. They don't even get it to Bob
0: Hoskins. It's oh Roxette you know, right on top. Oh this. my
2: god! I generally
0: agreed that it's it's pretty piss poor. Yeah. But why should people go out and, and seek this movie out as a, as a cult movie?
1: I don't even. <laughs> I'll that. say this: if you're going to watch it, I I, I told Andrea recently. I, I watched it over the summer. I think it was, and it was just a random Saturday night sitting at the house. I think the key is I may have had a few adult beverages in me, so I wasn't paying close attention like I was this time. So maybe if you're going to watch, don't don't really focus and pay too much attention. Just <laughs> kind of leave it as background noise and fodder going on there. Don't analyze the scene. Yeah, no. <laughs> I, I just have
2: – there's so many questions. There's so many. Like going back to what you said about, about the visuals, The the production was designed by the art director on Blade Runner. So that's why it has that sort of cyberpunk feel to it yeah. because they were going for that and they're like, let's get – David Snyder, who did the Blade Runner stuff. And it looks interesting, but at the same time, you can tell that there are certain budgetary limitations. It's like there's a lot of money that going into this, and yet they ran out. The sets, especially the big city set, it looks big, but at the same time, it, it's very artificial yeah, to it, the point there, where – A lot of clutter in yeah, there. Yeah, there's a know, lot they of They blew
1: most of the budget on fungus. <laughs>
2: yeah, 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 it's just <laughs> everywhere. This movie is so wasteful. It's like Lance Henriksen – Big character actor who's been in so many things, Aliens. He was Bishop. Yeah. 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 He's in the movie for one scene. He's Daisy's father and like the fungus like transforms back into him and he has one line.
1: Well, and that was a question I had too. Why did he randomly turn back from fungus? I mean they didn't use the re-evolution gun on him or anything. No, it- and they said that's what turned him into it. But just randomly he turns from a ball of fungus back into a king. And I was – so. kind of left I, I, me wondering like, wait, how did
2: this happen? I just I – just, I just wonder. It's like they got Mojo Nixon to play Toad and it's like
1: – Well, I looked up today and, and ran a lot about him because I was wondering who that character was. I had no idea.
2: Apparently they wanted Tom Waits to play Toad, but he was too expensive. Oh, yeah. So yeah. that would have yeah. been super That would have been interesting. That would have been
0: interesting fascinating and, to watch. We have a clip. It's the shorter clip.
2: OK. So this is the one where I believe – uh, Koopa has the Mario Brothers, who in this movie, their last name is Mario. And apparently Nintendo has said, no, that's not the case. So I'm just – I'm super confused about all of this. But he has them – he's trying to find this piece of a meteorite that will merge the, the, the human world and the dinosaur world together because 65 million years before when the meteorite killed the dinosaurs, it shunted – some of them to a parallel universe where they survived and mm. built this city that and is somehow now. Somehow became humans. Yeah. Yes, and evolved <laughs> Sounds, into yeah. people. Sounds plausible. Yeah, yeah. A- absolutely. <laughs> We're so, still
1: hatched from eggs.
2: So. <laughs> right. So he's trying to find Princess Daisy, who has the meteorite, and he's kidnapped her, but the Mario Brothers have that fragment. So this scene is where the Mario Brothers have been arrested and. uh, They get a visit from Koopa, who pretends to be their lawyer, and he's trying to find the meteorite piece, and it's all very,
1: yeah. It doesn't hold up the charade very long, though. (laughs) Yes. Boys, boys, sit
0: down. How's prison? You look like hell. I'm uh...
1: Larry Lazard of Lazard
0: Lazard, Conda Dactyl, and Cohen. Who, Who sent you? Are you from the city? No, I'm from that uh, little part of all of us that can't stand to see someone else in need or in pain. Yeah, I bet. Who, who's this Koopa this clown? We gotta talk to that goofball now. I don't think you want to do that. Why? Why not? That Koopa clown? Yeah. Is one evil, egg-sucking son of a snake. Now, where is that meteorite piece?
2: The what?
0: Oh, oh, you know oh, what I'm talking oh, about! Oh, hey, hey, hey. Hey. Oh, no one touches oh. President Koopa. No, Koopa, oh, you just sent you a wrong... An evil, egg-sucking son of a snake.
1: Did I lie?
0: From 1993, Super Mario Brothers.
1: How to see it. It is (laughs) on demand on um, one of the Disney. I believe it's Disney XD has it in their vault. So you can dig it up that way if you're a Comcast customer.
2: Yeah, Um, but otherwise you have to get it on DVD. uh, I believe import Blu-ray on uh, Amazon. You can find it that way. It's not streaming otherwise to my knowledge. It's kind of one of those things you really sort of have to hunt for. But. It is, it is so unbelievably bad.
1: I was, was going to say it's that, understandable why no streaming service would want to pick this up and pay for it. All of – like
2: every, everyone involved hated being in it. Bob Hoskins, who we talked about in our previous episode, he's such a great actor. He seems like he's giving this 100 percent even though he had no investment at all in the material. Such a wonderful actor
0: he's missed. As a credit to him.
2: Yes, totally. And everyone else is fine. Dennis Hopper, you can tell he's sort of just doing it as a paycheck. And then Samantha Mathis, her career is like a litany of bad choices in the 90s because she did this, Broken Arrow. She did a bunch of movies that just didn't go anywhere. And it's like she's a good actress. You just feel for her because she needed a better agent.
1: And there's a Fisher Stevens is in there as well, who's got that face. He's just kind of a random bad guy in a lot of movies. Uh, Another bad '80s or '90s movie hackers exactly. (laughs) Eugene the virus there.
2: (laughs) Oh, Fisher Stevens is awesome, Oscar-winning producer Fisher Stevens. Um, It's 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 just this movie, and the people who weren't in it like dodged bullets here. Tom Hanks was considered for Luigi Uh, at one point. He was. Uh, Probably Schwartz never
1: would have ended up being a Forrest Gump later in his life if <laughs> this was that, This yeah. was that
2: year, actually. I think Schwarzenegger was a, approached for Koopa, yeah. and they talked to Danny DeVito about playing Mario and directing the movie. And maybe it would have worked better if he had if he had done that because he's a good
0: director. Yeah, it would have been fascinating to watch.
2: But the guys who directed this movie, uh, this husband and wife couple from the UK, ultimately they got dropped by their agents. Mm-hmm and they've never made a Hollywood movie again.
1: Dan, Stuff like this on your uh, resume, it's kind of hard to keep a job. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> so, Dan, any final thoughts on Super Mario Brothers?
1: Uh, like I said, it, it kind of killed a part of my childhood for me there, but it, <laughs> there is still a little bit of a nostalgic piece to it when I see it just because I remember being really excited as, again, a 10- or 11-year-old kid, and me and my uh, cousin Chris went to the movie theaters to see it. In retrospect, you know, 25 years later, it's not very good. It's <laughs> It wasn't good then, and it's still not good now, but... I'll still sit through it occasionally if I find it on TV.
2: It's not
0: like a fine wine.
1: No, it is not aged well.
2: <laughs> I watched it on pay-per-view oh, wow. when it first hit pay-per-view. If you remember, <laughs> if you remember ordering movies well, on pay-per-view back then, and I think we taped it, and I watched it – my brother and I watched it about half a dozen times, maybe more so – We'd seen it so much, but it's one of those things where you kind of know it's bad, but you've got nothing else to do. <laughs> yeah. So, and and yeah. you end up memorizing this thing. Oh boy, let's just say not I go remembered there. a lot more
1: than I thought yeah. I would. Yeah. Oh, That's I good.
2: remembered so much, and I was just it's like uncovering
1: ancient trauma, wondering, <laughs> yeah, this mo- <laughs> like this movie. Repressed memories.
2: The fact of the matter is, this movie like almost killed video game movies. And considering that there have been very few good video game movies, maybe it should have.
0: You might need therapy after a screening this, but, hey, I'm up for anything, so so why not?
1: Glutton for punishment. Dan
0: and Andre, thanks so much.
1: Huh. Thank you. Thanks for having me, guys.
0: Cinema Obscura. And I'm Steve Nikhazy, along with Andre Bennett and special guest Dan Wing. Cinema Obscura is recorded and produced in the KYW studios in Philadelphia. For more shows, check out the new Radio.com app, also on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite shows. Thanks for listening.
2: I'm back. Love those plumbers.